It's exactly the point today. We are the children of God. And some of us may have stage fright, too. We may be a little afraid to speak up for Christ. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at several passages. Uh, the first one will be in Matthew 18. But before we do, I always want to emphasize that you're in a Bible-believing church. The word cloud that's uh, put up before you, often printed in our bulletins and some, on some of our uh, paraphernalia, is to remind people of what is most important. And that is to be able to know the truth that sets us free. And the truth is, is that there is no other name given among men whereby we can be saved. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us so. That's why when we say we want the word of God, it's, it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the word of God, and it gets down to your core being, and it helps you discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And with the renewed mind of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you realize that God is letting us see things that others can't see without faith, without God opening their eyes to it. So let us now reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired word as it was given in the originals. And uh, as we look at the Bible, I'd like you to, uh, as I said, to reverently attend to it. Uh, so let us look at it. I'm going to be reading several passages, and uh, they're all going to be linked to children today. And as that is our theme, the title of the message today is, um, What is a Child? What is a Child? Uh, in Matthew 18, Jesus said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for that person to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you think that this matters? I mean, when, when the Son of God spoke, and it's recorded in two passages, one by Luke and one by Matthew, you got to take it seriously that God does take notice about the children. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, uh, there is a passage there uh, where he's talking about some of the churches, the seven churches, and, and uh, the one he mentions is, is the church of Sardis. And there, beginning in verse 1, he says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, he writes, and the angel typically is the pastor or the leader of the church, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. And he's talking about the people in the church of Sardis. You have that reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and what you heard. Keep it and repent of your sin. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you, you still have a few names in Sardis, a few names, people who have not soiled their garments, they, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy, or they are holy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in the white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Do you have an ear to hear? Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. When you look at this particular passage, there is a warning given that there are people who claim to be alive and care, but they're not demonstrating it. If you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
Paul was writing his last epistle. The last thing he was writing to a disciple, to a fellow pastor, he's passing on the torch to him. Young Timothy is now not as young as he used to be. He's got a little experience. But he says there in chapter 3, he gives them a warning. While evil people and imposters will go on, they will go from bad to worse. So not only are they evil, but it's going to get worse. They'll deceive and as they are being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, which is the apostle, and from his, from his parents, his mom and his mother, uh, grandmother Lois, and how from childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That word childhood there actually has to do with infancy. Even from being a little toddler, you were acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to open your eyes and allow you to see this great salvation in Christ. Now in Proverbs 22, 6, some of you know this. Uh, it is a familiar verse. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when that child is old, he will not depart from it. I always want you to remember that this is not a promise, but a proverb. But train that child up. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 18 and following, uh, this is where Moses is writing to the leaders of the next generation. And he says, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. And when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Uh, he says, they're going to start asking you, what are you going to say? And Moses goes on to explain quite a bit more all the way up to verse 25. Uh, these are some of the scriptures that we're going to be tackling in this text. And I hope, I pray that we will all be like children of God and recognize that that God does care about the children. There was a song written before the turn of the century back in 1996. It's one that I remember singing. Randy Stonehill uh, put the lyrics together, and, it, and the song title was, Who Will Save the Children? I just want to read a few of those. Cry for all the innocent ones, born into a world that's lost its heart. For those who never learn to dream because their hope is crushed before it can start. And we shake our fists at the air and say, if God is love, how can this be fair? But we are his hands and we are his voice. We are the ones who must make the choice. And if it isn't now, tell me when. And if it isn't you, then tell me who. Who will save the children? On his second verse, he says, we count our blessings one by one, yet we have forgotten how to give. It seems that we don't want to face all the hungry and homeless who struggle to live. But heaven is watching tonight, tugging at our hearts to do what's right. And we are his hands. We are his voice. We are the ones that must make the choice. And if it isn't now, tell me when. And if it isn't you, tell me who. As we observe then through our TV screens, they seem so distant and unreal. But they bleed like we bleed and they feel like we feel. Oh, who is going to save the children? 
Randy Stonehill puts this up and puts it before us, and this is more than 20 years ago, and raising the issue that is still a significant issue even in 2022. Some of you may have noticed that this is an election year, and during election years, what do you expect? You expect a lot of noise. Some of you prefer to stick your fingers in your ears or maybe use those earplugs that we did when the thunder over Dover came through, when the uh, Thunderbirds were so loud, you know, when you cover up. Some of us don't want to hear what's going on in the culture around us. Some of us would prefer just to be happy. There's a lot of unrest. And with a full harvest of the postmodern thinking, there is more confusion now than ever. It's almost as if... Uh, People are granted permission to start thinking about things that are not only unseemly, but unreal. They come up with their own truths. They accept alternatives in which, to, uh, which, which stand in direct contradiction to the scriptures we know. And then they yield to whatever they wish, whatever's popular in the culture, whatever feels good, or whatever seems to work for them for that moment. As I watched a couple of the hearings in the last two weeks, you know, it's appalling to me when, they, when somebody actually convincingly says men can have abortions. And I'm scratching my head saying, what planet are we on? You know, and, and what are the children to make of this? It's very, very troubling. How do the children, how are they supposed to prosper in the midst of all of this confusion that's being advanced? The rising generation is suffering the consequences. They're growing up in a culture that is no longer biblically based. It's not founded in the truth of scripture, but rather people are doing what they want to do. They're leaning on their own understanding. I was just looking at some of the latest headlines in the last few weeks. You know, some are so sad when I think about... Uh, the children in Ukraine, somebody just recently said that one boy was found dead after being sexually abused by some of the, the, uh, the soldiers from the other side. Uh, it was, it's pitiful. There was a toddler that was left at home. Uh, the lady went shopping and, and left the house, and the little, the little kid walked out on his own into the street. Another, another situation just a few days ago where somebody was so caught up in gambling that uh, they left their kids uh, in the car in Arizona where it's pretty hot. The one that just still staggers my mind is there was a 15-year-old girl. Uh, she went to the Mavericks, the Dallas Mavericks ba basketball game just a few weeks ago in April, and uh, she didn't go home with her dad. When she went to the restroom, there were eight people that uh, had conspired, and they ended up uh, snatching her away, getting her out, out of the arena there, and... Um, and she was trafficked. And when you read the article, it just seems so sick in Oklahoma City that the police didn't even start an investigation because they thought she was a runaway. The way, the way they found her was because our society is so sick that they, uh, some of the detectives were looking on the porn sites and they ended up finding this picture naked, this girl naked. And they were able to identify her and ultimately to rescue her. The world is a mess. Ironically, some of you may say, it's so bad. It's so bad. Do you remember what Solomon said? He said, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, 
when he wrote that, he was an older gentleman in the book of, uh, writing the book of Ecclesiastes. And we can see his aging. If you're familiar with his writing, Song of Solomon, is when he's young and in love. And he talks about love in a beautiful way. You know, he wants to be married, and he talks about how lovely the, his, his uh, beloved is. Oh, it's neat. Young love. Then when he becomes a parent and he's got several children, uh, you realize that he writes the book of Proverbs. 31 of them, uh, apparently there was a desire to make sure that every day that there was some wisdom being passed on. But there's some neat things in the book of Proverbs. But when he gets to be an older man, I believe a grandfather, he ends up writing about the fact that there's a time for everything under heaven, but he says there's not really anything new. The struggle when it comes to children is something that has been going on for a long time. Sometimes it's worse, it's seen more worse now than it was, but there's always been a pull on the younger generation. And I think of that from, from the book of Judges, chapter 2, where um, <clears throat> you know, Joshua has died, and in Judges, chapter 2, it says, verse 10, that a generation arose that didn't know. Apparently, nobody had taught the children. And so a generation arose that didn't know God and couldn't tell you about what God had done for his people in the previous generations. It's almost like they, that, that they were canceled, all those memories. They were erased. And when you realize that, it is a dangerous thing uh, to be able to look at the plight of children these days. I marvel, uh, Mr. Lutzer, he's a pastor, uh, used to pastor in Moody Bible uh, out in Chicago. He wrote a book and has been encouraging the Christian community to, to not be quiet, to not be silenced. Uh, quoting from Jesus, he said, if you hold your peace, the rocks will cry out. So he says, Christians, don't hold your peace, speak up. And he talks about how things are not new either. But in his book, he, he challenges Christians in 2022. It's a, it's a recent book. He says, beware that the secular culture is trying to remove God. And the way they do it is that they create a problem with the children. And then they provide, uh, they, they publicize about this problem with the children. And then they create a solution that is godless. And then when they, when they provide this secular solution using terminology like they are wanting the welfare of the children, they want to be inclusive, they want to eliminate racism, bigotry, and patriarchalism, all those other isms or whatever, they are just really setting the kids up to follow them as if they are the Pied Piper. And the children will follow them down these paths. Lutzer wants Christians to be awake. And so today's message is really just bringing multiple scriptures to you, uh, regardless of what age you are, to hear these things. I'm going to be asking three questions. The first one is, what is a child? What does God say a child is? Secondly is, who is, a, who is the child accountable to? Or who's responsible for the child? What does the Bible say about that? And thirdly is, what should we be doing with the children? In other words, uh, there is how do we save them, as Randy Stonehill puts in his song. Uh, you may already know some of these things, but I want to echo them in your ear in 2022. What is a child? It may sound obvious, but there are many who have never considered what God has said about what a child is. Does God care about children? Okay, if I take you back to our opening text in Matthew chapter 18, it, 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 it 
it, it's inspiring when you realize that Jesus said, whoever receives a child in my name receives me. Now, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he talked about a children, about, about a child, about children. Uh, and basically, there are two things. It's a matter of maturity, and it's a matter of being. And so when you think about maturity, that has to do with age, has to do a little bit with time. But a child is going to be somebody that is, that is not mature, that hasn't yet arrived. If you go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, you're going to realize that in that particular passage, it says, I was a child, and then I spake as a child, and I understood like a child, and that's the way it was in childhood. And then there was a shift. Maturity came upon. It's almost like graduation. But when I became a man, I put away the childish ways, the childish things. Do you know about when that happened in your life? Or has it not yet happened? Some of us never want to grow up. I think legally now in our country, you can stay a kid until you're 26. At least you can stay on your, on your uh, parents' tax purposes and all that. And if you understand what I'm, I'm actually um, poking a little bit of fun, but the secular world is trying to define what a child is. Now, I told you it was not only a matter of maturity, but also a matter of well-being, uh, and that is what I call a dependent. When somebody is a part of the covenant community, and we would often say that this is when they are not able to take care of themselves. It's not just that they haven't arrived, but uh, just like we think of a mother's milk, uh, we think of, of the roof over your head, usually provided by dad, uh, children are dependent. And in taxes, we have that too. In fact, you know, you can get your tax deductions. I'm kind of crying because of the fact that mine are now no longer tax deductions. I guess they've grown up according to the state. You know what I mean. God actually has said that when people become of age, when they become mature, then they end up becoming their own family units. Uh, they end up becoming, um, they become their own individual. Now, Satan is seeking to confuse what God has established. He's even, they, Satan will even try to deny that a child is a child. And so, you know, you hear the language, you hear even, why do we support a crisis pregnancy center in Georgetown? It's because a lot of people don't even want to recognize that a child is even in the womb when the child is in the womb. They use different language. Uh, to try to say it's just a mass of tissue or it's something else or they try to distract you by saying it's a choice of the adult and they don't really focus on the fact that what's inside is a little baby. They don't want to say that it's a little person, that it's a little life. But when I go to multiple scriptures, I can go to Psalm 139 where God tells us that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. In Psalm 51, when David was confessing his sin, he said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's basically acknowledging that when he was born, he had a sin nature. He didn't come out with a, as a clean slate. He wasn't just innocent. No, he was under God's wrath even from the moment he took his first breath. But in Jeremiah, when he testified in chapter 1, verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me and he said, before I formed you, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you for a purpose. I want you to be a prophet. I want you to tell people about me. And I said, ah, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak to people, for I'm just a young person. 
But the Lord said to me, Do not say that I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. In other words, God is in the business of wanting to take care of children, even sometimes to have them speak for him. The word of God tells us that God's design all along from the beginning was that children would come. Did he make children in the Garden of Eden? Easy question. I mean, easy answer. No. There were no children in the Garden of Eden. God made Adam and God made Eve. Uh, he didn't make them two separate creations. He took Adam and then out of the rib he made Eve. But he didn't make children there. Once they sinned, then God said, your children are going to be born and there's going to be pain in the childbearing and they're going to enter into this world with a sin nature. And you can read all about that in the curse. It's really sad in chapter 3. But that's where the first child that came into this world was Cain. And when Eve saw Cain, she thought he was the best thing that ever could have been. And she was hopeful that he was the one that would bring deliverance. But he wasn't. When you realize that God has been in the business of telling us that children are going to be a beautiful thing. They're a heritage from the Lord, as it says in Psalm 127. But, but children are supposed to come into this world. They're going to come from different places. I mean, different, different uh, from all around the world. But, but God gave that command to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply. And he repeated it to Noah and his kids after the flood. Be fruitful and multiply. And here we are. Praise God, they didn't abort all of us. We wouldn't be here to be able to praise God. Uh, when you realize that God has been interested in children all along, I, I have to just highlight the fact that he even purposed to bring salvation through a child. That he had told Eve, yes, it's going to be painful and it's going to be difficult and children are going to be a heartbreak to you, and they were. You read Cain and Abel, it's tough stuff. And if Adam and Eve were able to live 900 years and their children, so many of them were sinful. They were godless. They lived as if there was no God. And their thoughts and intents were so, so many of them were evil. It was really a heartbreak probably to them to live that many years and to see all the sadness. But, but in, uh, in Genesis 3, he says, but I will send a deliverer through the seed of a woman. That's why Galatians 4.4 brings it out so well at the end where he says uh, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under law, through childbearing. This little boy was going to come into the world. And if you remember from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, uh, the angel told Joseph, and you will name him Jesus, not John. You'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Not Joseph, not any other name. You'll name him Jesus. It's quite beautiful when you realize that God cares about the children. I go through a list. Uh, there was a little girl that helped a big, uh, a big wig named Naaman to get truth. There was a boy that ended up being uh, wise enough to listen to his mom and bring a bag lunch to a sermon that Jesus was preaching at. You know what happened? Everybody was fed. There was a child that Elijah prayed over. You may not realize, but the first person that ever rose from the dead was a little boy of the widow of Zarephath. There was a boy king. When you hear Jehoshaphat, that was a good guy. 
he was encouraging all the people to hear the word of God read to them, and they all stood and listened to it being read. There was a boy prophet, at, probably at the age of eight, when he was just weaned, and God spoke to little Samuel by name. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel didn't even know how, what to do. There was a boy shepherd, you know, that was out in the field. His seven older brothers and sisters ignored him. Uh, but little David had a heart after God's own heart. And there was another little boy, 12 years of age, that Abraham was willing to put on that offer, on that stone offering um, on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22. There was a boy named Isaac. And I don't know how Isaac willingly went up there, knowing that his dad told him that God would provide. But the little boy's life was going to be forfeit until God told Abraham, nope, that little boy's not good enough. I'll provide another boy who is. And that was Jesus. Now that was trying to focus on the value of a child. Who is a child? Quickly, I want to highlight the second one is who's accountable for the children that we run into? Now, if you listen to some of the, uh, the campaigns over the last few years, even, this, even during this, the last two decades, they used to have books that said it takes a village. You know, some folks were going to say the church will raise them. You know, that some others have left them to orphanages. And, and the more modern thought is the schools will do it. We all know that the right answer is the phone raises them. Because the phone tells them what to do and they often do it. Even to learn how to fix something. You, you, you use the phone not to call somebody you know, but you just ask the phone. And the phone tells you what you do next. The phone even tells you what you should be thinking about the culture, and the phone even tells you what's important and what's not because it has algorithms that do, that do the thinking for you. But when you realize that the scripture tells us that the clear answer is not any of those things, the one who is responsible is the one that God gave the duty to, to parents. And maybe that's why parents really don't want to bring kids into this world. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to have to have all of that care, all of the money wrapped up into it, all the limitations that seem to come. It's really sad when you realize that. But when I look through the scripture to whom we are accountable, it is the parents. That is why in, in Proverbs 13, in verse 24, whoever spares the rod spoils the child. And that is talking about the parents. And when you think about this, I've been... I, there's been elections that have been overturned because parents today are being concerned that their ability to actually influence their children is being taken away or it's already gone. Some of the states that have, have actually had forums where parents are coming in and say, no, we don't want you to teach the kids this. We are going to take care of that. It's really tough. What are parents actually teaching kids and what they're not? I always say that parents ought to be teaching their kids what morality is, what God-fearing is, and what decency is. In other words, the first place that kids ought to learn is what order and authority works. Because if kids don't understand that, then they'll be anarchists, they'll be unruly. And how many kids are unruly these days? The Bible says from the Ten Commandments that children are, that are to honor their parents. It's repeated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
And he says, if you do this, then it'll go well with you. In other words, you'll understand the way you're supposed to live and grow up in society and move towards adulthood. In Proverbs 1, when Solomon was a dad and he wrote in verse 8, he says, hear, my son, your father's instruction. That's kind of self-serving, but it makes good sense. Hey, God put me in charge of you. Listen to the instruction I have for you. And then he adds, and don't forsake your mother's teaching. God gave you a mom too. Don't dismiss her. For they are graceful garlands for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if a sinner entices you, if somebody besides your parents comes and they start giving you instruction and they start giving you teaching, do not consent to stuff that is contrary to your parents. If they say, verse 11, come with us, let us do this and that. Let us lie and wait for blood or let us ambush the innocent without reason. He says, you ought to run from this. It's really quite amazing. Yet in today's schooling process, parents are still responsible. I was in God's providence. I've been able to rear four kids. Did I teach them everything? No way. Some of the stuff that they can do, I still don't know how, how they do it. So it's not that. I was not commissioned by God to teach them everything. I was commissioned by God, according to Proverbs 22.6, to train them up in what? In the way that they should go. And that's what we should be doing with our children. Modeling, we ought to be teaching them morality, and we ought to be introducing them to the one who saved us, the Messiah. So... Who is to teach these children? Well, we teach them at home. You've heard that book. I think it was written by uh, Robert Fulgram um, in 1990. Everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. You ought to learn it at home, not a kindergarten. It's a little dangerous right now to go to school in a lot of states because what you're going to learn in kindergarten is probably going to pollute your thinking rather than encourage your thinking. Be on guard. And that's why the, the Sardis, the church at Sardis, wake up, wake up, the scripture says. Don't just go around and say, oh, well, everything is just nice. Point three, what do they need to be saved from? Well, what can we do? When I bring it together, they, I, I summarize it from this. The first thing they need to be saved from is their self. If you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, uh, it's one that we've been preaching on, and we usually apply it to adults, but look at it for kids. That one of the first things he says, that once you know the will of God, once you get a sense that God is directing you because of his word, he says, I want to teach you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And, and I've been emphasizing this for adults, but make sure you teach your children. The world doesn't revolve around you. For those of you that came to movie night, we had Mother's Mom's Day out. It was hilarious. I was laughing pretty hard on quite a few of the scenes. But uh, if, if you look at the particular text, uh, on, on, I mean, not the text, but when you look at one of the storylines, you have the mom going to church. And as she's going to church that Sunday, the little girl in the back seat starts to scream, Mom! 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 And so the mom, because the dad's away on a business trip, the little girl is wanting to help mom put on eye makeup. I'm not even sure I know what, what, she, what it was, what eyelashes or stuff. Mascara. Mascara. Okay, so the next scene, you have mom and the kids coming in, and mom's got sunglasses on that are really big. And she takes the glasses off, and you can see all of the black stuff all around where it's not supposed to be. Now, I'm sitting there like, why did you let the kid do it? Why did you cave in? 
And of course, everybody knows you cave in because the kid thinks that the world revolves around the kid. If they get loud, if they get obnoxious, or whatever it is, whatever technique they've figured out and mastered, that's what they try to do. But I want to encourage you is don't let them run themselves. That's why you don't, you don't spare the rod, which is you discipline them. Otherwise, you'll spoil the child and think that they are the center of the universe. Secondly, it's the, it's the secular voices. We want to spare them from the secular voices. Psalm 1 says it so well when he says, Blessed is the person who does the right thing, who delights in the law of the Lord. But if you, if you take uh, the phrases before then, I think you have it there. Blessed is the man who doesn't go to the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't listen to the bad voices, to the secular thinking, nor stand in the way with those sinners or even join in in the scoffing. You want to be blessed? Train your children to stay away from these things that are not good, the secular voices. Now, in James chapter 4, verse 17, we also should steer our kids away from sinful conduct and activity. When you read there in James, he says, if you know what is right and you don't do it, it is sin. Do you want your children to sin? Should you go around and say, that was a great sin you just did. If you, if you cheer on your kids in sin, I, uh, I need to pray for you. That is not the way to bring up a child in the way he should go. Um, all of these things, uh, if I take you to Romans 1.18, you'll understand why. It's because the wrath of God is really the scary thing. How many parents have I dealt with that, that will weep because their children don't know Christ? And if you don't know Christ, what's going to happen to them? Well, if it's a drug overdose on fentanyl, whether it's a car accident or whether it's the confusion that they abandon whatever gender they were and they buy into this other stuff that the world is offering. You know, it's almost like peace and love and satisfaction and you'll never want to commit suicide because you try this latest and greatest thing and everything is going to be wonderful for you. Now, the parents will weep because when people lean on their own understanding, when they do what's right in their own eyes, they become godless. They don't only ignore what the parents say, but they buy into a world and life view where there is no punishment, there is no accountability, and there is no God to be angry at you. In Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God will be poured out upon the children that are doing unrighteousness. Children of all ages. That's why it's so important. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that's what the world is trying to teach our kids these days. They lean on their own understanding. And in Romans 1, as he goes further on, he says, they are without excuse. And I pray that we aren't. An application to wrap this up. I don't want you to be sad. Children are a blessing. Sometimes they may give you a haircut like mine to pull your hair out. Because you're like, what are you doing? How, why haven't you figured this out? And of course, in 2022, we don't say that. How many of you ever say anything tough to your children? We have to be almost friends. We have to be really measured in our speech. My goodness, the school's already taught them that, that the biggest domestic terrorists are parents anyway. We're the ones that are going to get in the way of your children. We're going to try to bring them up in the old-fashioned way, which is archaic, and it's, it's bigoted, and it's wrong. 
And many children today look at their parents as the last person they'll talk to. They don't even come to their pastor. You know why they don't come? Because they don't have one. How many children are at church today? How many grandchildren do you have that you wish were at church? And then I add that, how many grandchildren and children do you wish were in a Bible-believing church so that they wouldn't be on a path of the scorners that actually mock what Scripture says? The Bible says that salvation is important. When I read you some of these scriptures, Jesus said, don't put a millstone around your neck. He says, because if, you, if you're going to offend one of these little ones that believe in me, that's so bad. We had all these kids up front here today, and we're trying to get them to sing trust and obey. And they, I was looking at the lips to see if they move. But what's more important is not the lips, it's the lives. I'm so thrilled they're standing here in church. Who else is ever going to encourage them to sing to God's glory? Who else is ever going to encourage them that they're, to tell them that there's a path that is right, that God has set up? Because Proverbs 14, 12 says, the path that you will lean on will lead to your own destruction. In Psalm 119.11, as I gave Bryce's Bible, I highlighted a couple of those verses. In verse 9, it says, Wherewithal shall a young person cleanse his way? Uh, Psalm 119, verse 9. When you realize that, by guarding their hearts, by comparing it with what God's word says. And if you go in a later part, that's the, huge, the biggest chapter in the whole Bible is Psalm 119. If you go to verse 105, you'll be able to see another text that says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And then he says, Because your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know the path? Study scripture. You will not regret knowing that. And that is why I want to encourage people that God has given us this. He has told us to listen to the parents that he provided for us. Sometimes you have parents that you don't, you don't admire. Well, you can learn what not to do from them. But praise God, most of us have parents who are pointing us in the right direction. You know, if you had an alcoholic dad, then you, don't, you want to learn from him, hey, there's consequences to drinking too much, so you might learn not to drink. Sadly enough, a lot of folks don't do that. They just mimic the behavior. In 2 Timothy 3 that I mentioned, we have Paul reminding Timothy of what he had been learning from a childhood. His mom and his grandmother had been teaching him the Old Testament over and over. He knew all the stories. And when Timothy was going to stand up to preach there in Ephesus, he was able to remember these truths that were able to make him wise into salvation. He could pass it on about what it meant from the Old Testament for the shedding of blood to have the remission of sins. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. That's why in Deuteronomy 6, you could read the whole chapter for yourself. I only read two or three verses, but the, Moses is looking at this next generation and he says, hey, you've been wandering in the wilderness and you've had the, the, all the grumbling and complaining parents that are here. He says, if you're 20 years and younger, you're going, with, you're going to go to the promised land. And when you go into that promised land, he says, take the word of God with you. Find it on the frontlets of your eyes. And he says, put it on the doorposts of your fence. He says, put it in front of you all the time. And, and he says, teach it to your children that it may go well with you. 
You see, there was a big emphasis on the children. Do we care about the children? There was one group that tried to get the gospel as simple as they could to the children, and they made it with five colors. And they, uh, it's called the wordless book. I often sing it for you. My heart was dark with sin, dark page, until the Savior came in. His precious blood I know, red page, has washed me white as snow, white page. And in God's word, I'm told that we'll walk the streets of gold, that's the gold page or the yellow, to read God's word and pray, I'll grow in Christ each day, green page. Now with those five colors, you get to share the gospel to a little child. Have you ever shared the gospel with your children? What have they learned from you? The fact that you're in church today says a lot. But when you're not being watched or when it's not Sunday morning, when nobody is holding you accountable, what's the words that come out of your mouth? What's the priorities that are in your checkbook? Or you just use a debit card now. What, what, is, the, what is the important things in your life? They'll, they are watching. They are watching. I want to encourage you that one of the greatest things you can do is Proverbs 22.6. Train up your children in the way they should go. I'm working on my doctorate. I'm slow going, but my whole goal is called the WOW ministry, the welcoming of worship. Who is that for? It is trying to get young parents to see that one of the greatest things, maybe the greatest thing they could ever do, is to bring their children to Jesus. Remember the words from Jesus in Matthew, I guess it's 19. Jesus said to his disciples who were keeping the kids away, that he was basically saying, look, this is Jesus. The disciples were saying, don't bother him. He just needs to deal with the people who are smart, the people who are wrestling with things, the people that are important, the people that have influence. And Jesus stopped his disciples. It's almost like he grabbed the ushers and he said, hey, what's most important? Find the children and bring them. Bring them up here. Let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Sean said it so well when he introduced the sermon. We are the children of God. Let the children come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, Jesus says, I can take care of it. I can give you that rest, that peace. He went to the cross so that he could exchange your suffering for his and give you his righteousness because you don't have any what a glorious salvation who is going to save the children it's not the parents it's certainly not the the education department it's not going to be the election results only jesus can save the children bring them to him lord i pray that you would help us to marvel anew at the good news in the gospel. Lord, it doesn't have to be so complicated. As pastor, I read many scriptures from all throughout the scripture, and I think of how Solomon ended it up. As a grandfather, in chapter 12, he says, all these things I've done in my life, all these things I've taught and I've shown to the next generation, I've tried this and tried that and this and that, and he said, it's all been empty. The only thing that's not empty is when you fear God and keep his commandments, when you have a right relationship with him. And we all now know that's only through Jesus. 
and it's in his name I conclude.